You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Shade Ajishigiri. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, September 1st, 2022. Later in the program, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit Tuesday challenging Indiana's near-total ban on abortion. More in the top half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, IU Health is hosting a monkeypox vaccination clinic for the high-risk population on Miller Drive. More in today's headlines, but first, your State House Roundup. Good afternoon. This is your State House Roundup. The ACLU and Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit Tuesday challenging Indiana's near total ban on abortion, which is set to go into effect on September 15th. According to the complaint, the lawsuit was filed in the Monroe County Circuit Court here in Bloomington. Lawyers argue that Senate Bill 1 violates a person's right to privacy and equal privilege protections in the Indiana Constitution. Alexis McGill Johnson, President and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, said in a statement, quote, Today we are asking that the court does what Indiana lawmakers didn't, protect Hoosiers' constitutional rights. Unless this ban is blocked, patients seeking abortion will be unable to access timely and potentially life-saving care in their own communities. The abortion ban that the legislature rushed through during a special session nearly immediately after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, is both dangerous and incredibly cruel. We demand more for patients and providers, and we will continue fighting for everyone's right to make their own decisions about their bodies, lives, and futures. End quote. Of the five plaintiffs in the case, All Options Pregnancy Resources Center joined in the lawsuit. Prior to the suit in early August, WFHB News spoke with Jess Marchbank, the state programs manager for All Options. Marchbank described how All Options has fared since Roe v. Wade was overturned. First, starting with the Supreme Court leak that happened, we have been inundated with new interest and uh, new scrutiny in some cases, and, and also just renewed awareness of the fact that abortion funds exist. So the abortion fund line In a busy week six months ago, we may have only received 30 phone calls. That felt like a busy week, 30 30 calls. And we may have funded 10 of the people who called us in a week. But since May, and then increasingly since June and July, we've been seeing well over 80 calls a week. And it's not because people are suddenly having more abortions. It's because, first of all, there's a sense of urgency and a sense of fear and more people know that they can come to us for funding and information so we've been very we've been very busy and 
like a lot of the everyday Hoosiers that I talk to, scared, angry, anxious. Once the law goes into effect, facilities that provide abortion will no longer be able to perform the procedure limiting abortion services to hospital settings in the rare exceptions the law outlines. Those exceptions include cases of incest, rape, or if the mother's life is in danger. The complaint alleges that the exceptions are, quote, unworkable because physicians cannot determine when, in a pregnancy, the exception permits abortions, end quote. If an abortion is performed outside these exceptions, the parties involved are subject to a level five felony punishable by one to six years of imprisonment with a fine of up to $10,000. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita said he's willing to defend the law, writing in a statement, quote, the left is notorious for fighting to erase all of the progress and protections secured by the pro-life movement. We don't need the warped opinions of organizations like the ACLU and Planned Parenthood dictating how we do things in Indiana." End quote. Abortion bans or severe restrictions on abortion have happened in about a dozen states since the U.S. Supreme Court ended the constitutional right to abortion in June of this year. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. On August 22nd, the Ellettsville Town Council discussed creating a non-reverting fund for the Parks and Recreation Department. Town Attorney Darla Brown explained the technicalities of the fund. So basically what this says is um, that the fund that the Town Council established in 1998 for the Department of Parks and Rec is now going to be renamed and the purpose is going to be expanded to include not only donations, but um, any other funds for um, non-capital improvements. So it's a non-reverting operating fund. So that's the purpose of this. I understand there's some question about section three at the bottom, who the director is going to be. Does the council want a director? But otherwise, I think the ordinance should comport with the comments I heard at the work session and at the last town council meeting. Council members Scott Oldham and Dan Swafford said they were confused about the purpose of the fund. Brown explained that the account was established to accept funds and donations for the Parks Department. This, the purpose of this account is to accept funds and you can only use it for what's designated in this ordinance. So I guess, yeah, it is, you can disperse money from it, but it's limited to what's specifically in this ordinance. So the purpose of collecting the funds is limited to what's written here and the purposes for which it can be spent is limited to what's written here. Swafford asked why the fund would need to be a non-reverting fund instead of being a part of the general budget. Brown said the purpose of the fund was to collect donations for the Youth Sports League. Councilmember William Ellis added that the account would also collect money for other parks projects. And even if we don't proceed with the Youth Sports League, this fund would still be there for the parks to use and collect for the shelter house money or if somebody wanted to make yes. a 10000 donation dollar right. donation. Brown added that the fund was already established as a non-reverting fund 20 years ago, and the ordinance would make the account a little more current. Council clerk and treasurer Sandra Hash added that donations go into the account, and she also uses it for shelter house deposits and sales tax revenue. 
It was a non-reverting fund already, for, and it was just isolated for park donations. And we had, right now, there is one donation in there of $250, and I deposit <clears throat> the um, shelter house deposits and sales tax into this because those need to go in and out. I didn't want to use an appropriated fund. <clears throat> we, have, we have to pay sales tax on the rental fees of the, of the shelter house. It's a state requirement. Hmm. So really, we incorporate that in the fee. We don't charge extra for it. Hash said that the fire department also has a non-reverting fund. Ellis said that the ordinance is beneficial for the parks department to have, noting that now members of the public know that if they want to donate to the parks specifically, their money will go to this fund. But this also alerts us that we have this fund. And so if the parks department or somebody wants to donate, they know that if they want to write a check, it's going to go... For parks. Mm -hmm. The council will vote on this ordinance at their next meeting. The next Ellettsville Town Council meeting would normally be held on September 5th. However, due to Labor Day, the meeting will be held at a later date. On August 31st, at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting, Health Department Administrative Assistant Kendra Mood reported that IU Health is hosting a monkeypox vaccination clinic on Miller Drive for the high-risk population. High-risk population includes those who are known close contacts, those who are immunocompromised, or those living with HIV. The clinic will open from 4.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Tuesdays. For more information or to schedule an appointment, Mood said to call 812-353-3219. Next, the commissioners read a statement to acknowledge Recovery Month. Recovery Month is a national observance held every September to educate Americans that treatment and services can enable those with mental health and substance use disorders to live healthy and rewarding lives. Now, in its 33rd year, Recovery Month celebrates the gains made by those living in recovery. Employment can play a key role in, e in recovery and supported employment services offer new gateways to empowerment and recovery for people across the United States. Medication-assisted treatment is effective and can be integrated into both treatment and recovery support settings to help people in their recovery. MAT services can be integrated into clinical sitting settings, the criminal justice system, recovery housing, and peer recovery support systems. Whereas Monroe County takes great pride in being a member of the Stride Coalition, providing the space for the Stride Center, an alternative to incarceration for those in crisis. Recovery Month celebrates the gains made by those in recovery, just as we celebrate improvements made by those who are managing other health conditions, such as hypertension, diabetes, asthma, and heart disease. Recovery is different for each person. For some, it is abstinence. For some, it is harm reduction. And for others, it is living through each day. We seek to end the stigma attached to mental health challenges and substance use disorders with the goal of making it easier for people to come forward when they are ready. We firmly believe that recovery is possible for everyone, every person, every family, and every community. Now, therefore, we, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, proclaim September 2022 as Recovery Month in Monroe County, proclaim this 31st day of August 2022. And I would like to add, if I could, that um, today is Overdose Awareness Day all across the nation. 
And in the 12 months that ended April, in April of 2021, there had been over 100,000 drug overdose deaths. And in 2018 in Monroe County, um, we had 26 overdose deaths. By 2021, that number had risen to 54, which is more than double what it had been just three years before. And what we're seeing on the street is um, a really, it's a, a mixture of a synthetic opioid, primarily fentanyl, with um, a psychostimulant that is um, methamphetamine. And it's very, very powerful. It's causing a lot of problems for many individuals. So thank you so much. Then Highway Department Director Lisa Ridge asked the commissioners to approve various agreements for the Fullerton Pike Phase 3 project. Good morning. Um, this is for right-of-way acquisition for our Fullerton Pike Phase 3 project. Um, this agreement includes the replacement of an existing water well, uh, water quality testing and remediation if necessary, tree removal and a repair of the mailbox. Um, the existing well and the tree are within the construction limits of the project, and the total acquisition, again, is $70,663.75. Ridge said that they had 18 parcels to acquire, and the ones tonight are the last ones to approve before the project can begin. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked Ridge to plant new trees on the property if possible to replace the ones they will be cutting down. I, w- I would, uh, deal, you know, this all makes sense, uh, if, you know, the well, I'm not sure about, but that's that's the property owner's decision. But um, it would be really great to replace the tree with a couple of new ones if we can. Okay. Um, so if that can be done, please do it. Um, I would appreciate it, and I'm sure they would as well. The commissioners unanimously voted to approve the agreement. The next Monroe County Commissioner's meeting will be held on September 7th. In today's feature report, we have an excerpt from Bring It On, Indiana's only weekly radio program committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Hosts Clarence Boone and Liz Mitchell speak with Cyrilla Helm, Executive Director of the Foundation of Monroe County Community Schools, and Nancy Goswami, Board Director, to enlighten us further on the mission and impact of this foundation. Bring It On airs each Monday at 6 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at WFHB.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As stated on their website, the Foundation of Monroe County Community Schools engages community support to inspire learning, enrich teaching, and enhance educational opportunities for all MCCSE students. In 1973, a group of local citizens working with MCCSC administration formed the foundation of Monroe County Community Schools, FMCCS. The foundation was organized to provide a margin of excellence to the community and its schools that tax funding did not provide. Since this time, the foundation has enriched educational opportunities for students of the MCCSC. They have funded countless books for school libraries and classrooms, STEM equipment, field trips, Bradford Woods experiences, renovation of Honey Creek, professional development for teachers, school transformation projects, the STEM to them mobile lab, 
student scholarships, and more. To help us better understand the foundation of Monroe County Community Schools, we have invited Executive Director Cyrilla Hemm and Board Director Nancy Glasswamy. Ladies, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad to have you. You know, I, I was impressed. Um, and one of the thoughts that I had in my mind was, you know, hey, every community in Indiana has such an entity out there that's going to sort of cooperate with this community school corporation and just do wonders where tax dollars just can't do it all. Is that the case? Are, are we an unusual situation in the state of Indiana to have uh, this foundation? Uh, you're fortunate. Um, it is not unusual to see K through 12 education foundations um, in the state of Indiana. There are about 80 of them um, that are operating in a, a way that allows the state to track them. Um, there could be others that are smaller and just not as well established. So we're not as, as much aware of them. But one of the things I just I was doing a lot of research earlier in the year um, as I was working on a grant. And one of the things that we learned was that your larger school districts have a tendency to have an education foundation, but when you get into the rule and the very small schools in Indiana, you do not see it. So um, I would say it's a little bit of an inequity balance, especially in the rural and the small communities. Um, and it is very, very, very unfortunate um, that those communities don't have that because it is a game changer for public schools. Okay. Um, Go ahead. On that note, and then I'll defer over to Liz. Uh, what are the number of schools that are annually supported by your foundation? By our foundation, we support anybody in Monroe County Community School Corporation. That's comprised of a total of 23 schools. Uh, so there's 14 elementary schools, three middle schools, four high schools, Hoosier Hills Career Center. And we also support um, the Adult Learning Center at Broadview. You mentioned that you get grants. Where else does your money come from? Where does our money come from? Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned grants. So where else would the money come from that does so, all this good work? So the foundation is we are 100% privately generated. Uh, we receive no tax dollars. We receive no state funding or federal funding. All of our money comes from individuals, like all four of us sitting here today having a conversation. It comes from businesses. It comes from foundations. Uh, like I will give you like business foundations that have places where you can go after grants. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty, you can ask Nancy, I'm pretty much a go-getter. If there's grants out there that we can write and ask for um, that fit our education model, I'm, I'm out there asking for it and writing for it. That's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you talk, of, uh, it's talking about you fund the STEM equipment for our listening audience. Which one of you can tell us what STEM equipment is? Nancy, you want it? <laughs> well, we do have the um, STEM to them bus that we helped raise over, was it $350,000 for? three For the school corporation. And it's a bus that has um, the student, it goes around to different elementary schools. The students can, um, there's a lab in there. They learn about technology um, on the bus. And it also, um, the, the teachers can participate um, as well as the students 
um, on this time to them bus. Mm-hmm. We also have a GEMS program, the Girls in Engineering, Math, and Science, mm-hmm. every spring for fifth and sixth grade girls. And um, unfortunately, during COVID, we were not able to do that um, in person in 2021 Uh, but usually it's a very big a good program where we have different organizations that will come and they'll have breakout rooms and the girls will learn about different um they'll go to different labs um uh we'll have tables set up in the beginning uh before the program begins and we'll introduce them to various professions and encourage them to their interest to spark their interest in those types of professions as far as engineering, maybe medicine, nursing, just a great program. And it's great to see the student participation. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it it does. Um, And Nancy, who, by the way, is a member of the board of directors, you said something interesting when it comes to you had a component or not a component, but you had this this way of, of girls getting engaged, the gym program. So we had STEM to them and uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. But then you had the gym. So that would be the acronym would be um, girls in engineering, math and science. OK, girls in engineering, <laughs> math and science. And again, I go back to one of my original statements. Boy, how many communities in Indiana enjoy these type of innovative uh, outreach programs? And Nancy, you, uh, a health professional, uh, nursing, trained to be a nurse. Um, so if I wake up out of a out of a deep sleep and see your face, I'll, I'll just start smiling. <laughs> Thank you. All right, all right, I'll, I'll keep You're going. wonderful. Nancy and I go way back, and and um, I've always known her to be someone who is very compassionate and and is very concerned about. Um, just helping our kids be the very best. Um, so along with Nancy, Cirilla, who else comprises the foundation board? The, the board is made up, um, usually it's around 18 to 20 individuals. Um, and they're from all walks of life um, in all different ages. So we try to keep the board in a really diverse situa- um, diverse capacity um, so that we are recognizing talents and skills uh, from as many areas of the community as we can in order to support um, the foundation as an organization. The one thing that we are not diverse on is the fact that we all have an extreme passion for public education. And so in that aspect, we're very united um, in our beliefs and why we're there as a mission. So you kind of touched on it there a little bit, um, Clarence. One of the reasons that the board went after um, the STEM to them program and the girls in engineering, math and science program is both of those programs were at a, in the back core of them. They're designed to help reach inequities in education. We are trying to, in the girls in engineering, math and science, it's aimed at girls. Um, you probably are aware that, you know, in the educational space, when those careers, um, fewer, fewer girls go into STEM professions um, than in the male counterparts. And when you, when you delve that back into other demographics of nationality, um, their income levels, it gets even worse as it goes back into that. Um, So 
that was one of the big reasons why um, when MCCSC wanted to put that program together that the board and the foundation said, absolutely, we will find the money to put this together because these young ladies need to be able to hear from other women in the profession. And it's all women that day. It, it's, it's all women in there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's done for a reason. It's done so that they can learn from women who look like them. Um, so we want them to see these women. We want them to learn from them. Um, they come in from uh Cook, they come in from Catalan, they come in from Baxter. The industry in this area, in this community has really embraced the program and they give up their time to come in and work with these young ladies. The same thing with the STEM lab. Um, That was also designed as part of Monroe County's Ready Schools initiative. Um, That at its core, when you drive it back, the corporation, MCCSE, is looking to say, how do we break the inequities in STEM um, and and make sure that all of our kids are getting really strong programming in the STEM space. Um, They're also doing it in literacy and the other areas. It's just that for for right now, the foundation has sort of picked up the bubble on the STEM side um, because it's expensive. Um, Like I said, the the STEM lab was $370,000. I believe we are the only, well, I don't believe, I know, we're the only public school uh, and possibly the only school corporation throughout the state that has a vehicle like that. It's a big trick down RV. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of sponsors who really kicked in and made that happen. Um, and we're very appreciative of what they did. Um, and so it's just really nice to be able to have um, the support and the backing of Monroe County. The teachers step in, they jump in, um, and they take, the, take these on as extra pieces for our kids because they love our kids. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Chantelle LaFontante. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Shadej Shigiri. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people, coming up next on WFHB.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 